Thank you, ladies. That was awesome. It's good. It's good, good, good. All right. I'm fired up. I'm excited to be bringing, uh, you know, a message from the Word of God to you this morning. And, um, you know, I, I had for a long time, I knew the next time Daniel asked me, this is what I'm going to preach on, and, and that's not what I'm preaching on this morning, but uh, that, that's what I wanted to preach on. Praise God. Hopefully, I had enough uh, discretion to not do what I wanted to do, but hopefully do what the Lord wanted me to do this morning. So uh, but be, be, be praying for me and be praying for each other as we open the Word of God together that it will do what it does. And that will be draw men and women, boys and girls, to the truth of who Jesus is. Um, I'm not big for titling messages, uh, but I did title this one. And I just said, we're all the prodigal. And uh, I guess it's becoming a theme for me. Uh, last time I had the, the privilege of preaching here, I, I, I spoke about the Samaritan woman and how much I could relate to her. And so this morning I'm going to preach on the prodigal son and how much I can relate to him, but how I think that we can all relate to him. Whether we've strayed far or not, we're going to look at the prodigal son a little bit different this morning, maybe than we've looked at it in the past. At least it was different for me. So uh, some of you may already be there, but we're not going to actually start there. We're going to come back to the prodigal here in a minute. But if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And we're going to look at the fact that part of the prodigal's problem was that Satan is a liar. Uh, and he's really good at his job. And if we listen to him, we are going to find ourselves in many, many bad situations. And his job, Satan's job, is to not only distract us, but it's to keep us distracted. So we're going to just look at a little truth. We're not going to focus a lot on Satan this morning because... I don't like giving him any of my attention, but I think it's, it's important that we understand who the enemy is and what he's trying to do so that we can formulate a game plan on how we can be successful. So John chapter 8, we're going to start in verses 43, we're going to go through about 47. So John 8, 43 through 47, it says, why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. Or another translation says, he speaketh his natural language. For he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God, hears God's word. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that we will uh, bear ourselves out to be the children of God because we hear your word and we answer your call. Lord, I pray that you will uh, keep distractions away from us this morning. I pray that we will fight through distractions and that we will listen uh, for, your, for your truth and your word. And Lord, I pray that I won't be a distraction, uh, but your word of God will be on full display this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I read that passage, as an opening passage, it might be a little bit offensive, and that was not my goal. 
Uh, it says a lot about, well, you don't hear the word because you're of your father, and your father's the devil, and if you were of God, you would hear me. Okay, now understand that that's not me saying that directly to you. That is Jesus saying that to the religious folks of his day, and, and he is telling them that the reason they don't believe is because they're believing the lie about him. And I think that it's important to understand this morning that Satan is still in the lying business. Jesus is still in the saving business. We talk about that all the time, right? Jesus is still working. He's still drawing people. He's still leading folks towards himself. But Satan has not gone dormant. He is still active, and he is still lying, and he is lying to many of us here this morning. He lies to me on the regular, okay? So you're not alone. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching from where I'm at and hoping that someone else can maybe relate, okay? But Satan is really good at what he does. And you say, well, how in the world are we talking about the prodigal son and Satan is a liar? How do those two things go together? Well, probably for most people they don't, okay? But I'm not most people. Uh, I've got a weird way of looking at the world. Uh, I'm uniquely, unique such a better word than weird. I'm uniquely equipped uh, with, with uh, different set of worlds uh, of circumstances that I've come from. And I'm going to tell you that I have been the prodigal, and a big part of the reason I stayed a prodigal for so long was because of the lies of Satan. It wasn't because I didn't know that I was doing wrong. It wasn't because I didn't know that God still loved me. It wasn't because I didn't know uh, that God was merciful and good. But it was because I believe that the lies told me, the lies that Satan told me about me. And the problem is, with it is that most of his lies that he told me about me were at least wrapped in some truth about me. And that's what makes him so good at what he does. Let's look at the, at the story of the prodigal, and we're going we're to dig into a different aspect than what I've ever, I've never thought about it like this, okay? So Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. We're going to pick it up in verse 11, we're going to read the story, and then we're going to dig in. Uh, but I, I wanted you to have the background and to begin to think about it. Uh, from the aspect and from the viewpoint of the fact that Satan is lying to many of you. He lied to many of you this morning. He's still lying to some of you. And I'm hoping by the end of the, end of the morning, you decide to not listen to him, but to listen to the Spirit of God. Luke chapter 15, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. And he said, he being Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. So we're going to kind of stop here for a minute, and we're going to just look at this uh, very familiar story for many of us. And I'll I'll be honest, I've, I've preached it, I've heard a lot of sermons preached on it, and it is good. It's good stuff, and there's so much obvious good truth to this passage, right? But I want to look at the prodigal son this morning. I want to look at him and his mindset, and his thoughts, and why he ended up where he was um, and the way that he was. Okay, We know he made a bad decision. He said, Father, I know you're good. We've got lots of stuff. I've got a good place here, but I want to make my own way. And he gets his money. He goes and he lives riotous. And it says not long after he had spent it all, right? I mean, he, he, was, he was out. My question that I never thought about until I began to study for this sermon is, at the moment he ran out of money, do you not think that he probably thought, wonder what dad would want me to do? wonder what dad would do if I came home? Do you not think that was probably his first thought? Like, I'm in trouble. What would happen if I went home? I, I think that was probably his first thought. Now, it's not what he did. He said, no, it's not an action. Dad's going to be mad. I'm going to get a lecture. I'm going to get a whooping. Righty? I'm not going home. I might get in trouble. I'll find a way. I'll make it work. So he goes out, and he gets a job. Not a, not a good job for him. Uh, a job that they considered a very low job. And I'm sure as he was looking for a job, that probably wasn't the first job that he applied for. Probably wasn't the first job he went after. He went after other jobs and he got rejected. And I imagine when he got rejected from that first job, which was probably a little higher, he said, man, I should just go home to dad. No, no. Satan gets in his ear. You don't want to go home to dad. Dad told you this was it. Dad told you. Here's your inheritance. Dad's done all he can do for you. Don't go home. Okay, I'll apply for another job. And then he applied for another job, and he got rejected. And he probably said, and I'm taking some license here. I'm distinguishing between the Word of God and the Word of Dusty, okay? But in my imagination, after he got rejected for that first job, he said, well, maybe I should go home. And he said, no, can't do that, Dad. Dad wouldn't like that. I'm going to apply for another job. And then he applied for another job. And then he applied for another job. And then he applied for another job. And finally, he found a desperate pig farmer that would give him a job. But let me tell you something. That job was not what he wanted it to be. Listen, it wasn't a great job to begin with, but apparently it didn't pay very good because even after he had the job, he was still wanting to eat what the pigs were eating. So that's telling me that, that this job, not only was it low in esteem, it probably wasn't great in pay. And he went from being somewhat financially stable and in a good spot with dad 
And now he's out on his own, and not only does he have a nasty job that he never wanted, but it's not paying well enough for him to even to eat sufficiently. And I'm sure the very first time his belly grumbled and he looked at the, at the pods that the pigs were eating, I'm sure his first thought was, I wonder what dad's eating. I bet he ain't wanting this. I bet my brother, who's home and he's working, but I bet he's not wishing he could eat some pig slop. But I can't go home. My pride won't let me. I told Dad I could make it. I told him he gave me my stuff. I go, and Satan came along beside him and said, Yeah, you're right. Your dad would not accept you back. He doesn't want you back. He sent you on your own. He lets you go off. And Satan just kept lying and kept lying. And finally, he got to the point of desperation. But I want you to hear his mindset, even in the moment that he said, I'm going to go home. He said, man, it's gotten so bad, I can't take it anymore. I have to go home. But what does he do? He begins to formulate a plan. I'm desperate. I have to go home. I have no other choice. But Satan was still whispering all the way home, this is a bad idea. You don't want to do it. You know how they're going to judge you. You smell like pigs. And you're going to go back to your father and you're going to beg him for a job. He's going to know you've blown his money, the money he worked. Listen to me. Love my pops. I hope he's, I think him and my mom are listening this morning. Dad, I love you and I appreciate all of the sacrifices that you made for our family as I grew up and even today. But my dad worked his tail off to be able to leave an inheritance for us kids. And even every time I see him pretty much, I say, Dad, spend it. God has blessed us. We're good. We're going to survive for a long time. You've earned it. Spend it. And that's not his mindset. Uh, that's part of the reason he's in the position he is, is because he gave sacrificially until his body couldn't give anymore. Uh, and I'm thankful for a man like that who sacrificed for me. But this, this young man, this prodigal, probably felt the same about his dad. Dad worked his tail off, and then I've blown his inheritance. I can't go back. I, he's going to be so disappointed. All of his work is down the drain, and I've blown it. And Satan is feeding that into his ear the whole way back. You smell like pigs. Maybe he smelled like other things that he shouldn't have been smelling like. Your dad's not going to want to see you like this. And he begins to make a game plan. He says, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go back, and I'll say, Dad... I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I don't deserve to be your son, but hire me so I don't have to feed these stinking pigs anymore. Just give me a job, because at least if I'm your servant, I know I'll be taken care of. You can hear, in my opinion, I can hear, and maybe it's just because I can relate, but I can hear in his voice, in his prayer, in his thought, in, as he's going to talk to his dad, the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment of being where he's at and how that made it very, very difficult to go home. I've never read, and some of you can say, well, how have you never read it like that? I just didn't. I've always read the story like, okay, he got out, he got in a bad situation, but he knew dad was there. He knew he had a crutch at home. Dad's always going to take care of me, but that's not the case. Yes, he knew his dad had the means to take care of him, but as he says, 
Father, just please have mercy on me. Let me come back and work for you. It's not a nonchalant, okay, Dad, I'm back. I don't deserve to be your son. Okay, at least give me a job. It was, it was a cry of desperation. I have nowhere else to turn, Dad. I know I've blown it. I know I've disappointed you. I know that I am not what you have raised me to be. But please, Dad, give me a chance to just be around you. You don't have to call me son. Just let me see you and what you've done and let me remember what it's like to be taken care of. And I can relate to that. And some of you can relate to that. I think there are a lot of people who are lost and dying and going to hell. And it's not because they don't know that Jesus wants to save them or can save them. It's that they have not, they've listened to the lies and they've not come to the place where they can surrender and humble themselves to make that trek to Jesus and say, uh, 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 they feel like they have to make a trek. The beauty of it is they don't even have to make the trek. They just got to be where they're at and say, Jesus, save me. Wait, wait, Dusty, but I go to church every week. If I go down and say I need to be saved, people are going to know I've been living a lie. Well, good for them. This young man did not let his pride stand between him and the chance to be back in the presence of his father. Many Christians spend years and years and years away from the will of God, away from what they know God's called them to do because they can't bring themselves, not because they don't think God will forgive them, but they can't forgive themselves. Not because they don't think God will be merciful, but that they can't put themselves in the position to admit they need the mercy and the grace. And I believe, church, that we are not reaching the lost at the rate that we need to be reaching them because oftentimes us good old southern gospel Baptist folks, we're out feeding the pigs and acting like it's okay and we're okay and I, I can't go back and really humble myself and begin. You're not alone. Okay, I told you I named, I named the sermon we're all the prodigal, but we could have named it something like heroes like me or my kind of hero. Because let's look at other folks. We think we're alone. Listen, when I was struggling with my faith, Satan convinced me that I was alone, that I was, that I was a dirty, no good, rotten sinner. Now listen, he was right about that part. There's enough truth wrapped into his lies that it's hard to deny, right? I was a dirty, rotten, no good sinner. I still am, unfortunately. But then he told me, you're all alone and you're not worthy and you can't do the things God's called you to do. I knew God had called me to things. And I let Satan convince me that I wasn't deserving to do that. And I, in myself, I'm not. But through Christ, I am. But I'm not alone. Saul, the first king of Israel, 1 Samuel 9, 21. Saul answered after being told he was going to be king. Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, my family the least of all the families of my tribe? Wherefore, why are you speaking to me this way? Why are you telling me I'm going to be king? I can't be king. Now remember, it says that he was head and shoulders taller than everybody. He was big and he was awesome. You know, he had a presence about him that was kingly. But he said, because Satan said, you can't do that, he believed him. Gideon. One of my favorite Old Testament heroes. 
When God told him that he was going to be used to deliver Israel from the Midianites, here's what he said in Judges chapter 6. He said unto him, My Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you, and you will smite the Midianites as one man. Gideon said, I can't do it. And God said, I know you can't, but I am going with you, and we will do it. David, when he was told he was going to go from the shepherd, from shepherding to being the king. 2 Samuel 7, 18 through 21. Then went King David in and he sat before the Lord. How many of y'all have done that before? When the Lord lays something on your heart and you just kind of have to sit down and say, Okay, God, I don't, I don't think you got the wrong guy. Okay, I think you got the wrong guy. He says, He went and sat down before the Lord and he said, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me here? And this was yet a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of your servant's house. God had told him not only was he going to be king, but his sons would be kings for a great while to come. And is this the manner, O man, o, uh, and is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Verse 20. What can David say more unto you? For thou, Lord God, knows your servant. For your work's sake and according to your own heart hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Now listen, I've got to stop here for a minute and we've got to talk a little bit about David. That dude had it going on. I love it. He says, I'm not worthy. I can't do God. Who am I that you would do this and that you would say this and not only honor me but honor my children? This is, this is huge. And then he says this, verse 20, O Lord God, you know your servant. Now listen, I've coached some kids along the years that it's the end of the game and it's time for the shot. And they're like, I'll, I want the shot. Give me the shot. You know I got you, coach. I got you. And that don't always go that way, okay? Uh, but David didn't say it that way. He's not saying, oh yeah, God, you know me. I got you. We got this. He's saying the exact opposite. He's saying, God, I can't do this. You know your servant. You know that I'm, that I'm incapable. You know. And then he says what? This is good, church, because I'm telling you, God is calling each of us to something. And it is not to wear out a tushy-sized print in the cushion of our pew. That's not what he's called us to. Okay? He's called us all to something. And you're saying, but Dusty, I can't. You don't know who I am. God does. Just as he knew who David was. Just how he knew David was going to make some big mistakes along the way. David said, you know your servant. But then he says this. But for your word's sake, and according to your heart, not mine, according to your heart, have you done these things and made them known to me. God has called you something not because you are good enough to do it. He's called it because it's His will and it's His heart. And we can go in His mind and in His power. And you say, well, listen, I've been telling the same person about Jesus for 35 years. They're not going to listen to me. Listen, keep telling them. Keep telling them. Man, I tell you, I have friends that I regularly send messages to, friends that I failed miserably 
when we were teenagers and when we were in our 20s and going to college and doing different high school, different things together. And I still send a message, hey man, I love you and I'm sorry for the way that I failed you because I was, I was playing church 20 years ago. I genuinely love Jesus now. But that's a hard thing to say. And that's a hard thing to keep going back to. And I say, man, they don't, they don't want to hear about Jesus from me because they know what I've done. They know that I went to church and yet I was the same place as they were and I talked the same way they did and I, I did the same things they were doing. They don't want to hear about Jesus from me. I can't tell them, God. Send someone that they don't know. Send somebody who has a good background in front of them, who's always been the good example, always been the right example, and God continues to say, you tell them, because it's not about you. It's about me. It's about me. I didn't call you, Dusty, to stand up in front of the church this morning and speak because you were the best option. I called you because of myself I have something to say you're not going up there in your own wisdom praise God right church that's what puts them on the spot right they're like, I, I say amen and I say I don't know uh, it's okay it's okay I know it I embrace it I'm thankful for God's mercy Moses when he was told he was gonna go and he was going to go to Pharaoh on behalf of God's people and eventually deliver them. He said in Exodus 3 and 4, and I didn't, I'm not going to read it all because it was a long, but basically Moses is the king of excuses. I love it. He's like, uh, for who am I, God? Why, how can I do that? What if they don't believe me? What if they ask who sent me? I don't know what to say. Uh, Lord, you know I have a speech impediment. I don't talk so good. Uh, isn't there someone else that can do it? And God said, no. You are the one. And I'm telling you all this to say this, that many of you, God has called to something, and you're looking for someone else to do it because you don't feel worthy and you don't feel deserving. Maybe that's salvation. Maybe it's coming out of a lifestyle of sin. Maybe it's returning to the Lord. Maybe it's answering the call to ministry that you've been fighting against. You don't feel worthy. Well, listen, you're not alone. And then, I don't want to leave out the great Apostle Paul. And we're going to read this one if you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think this is uh, man, great, great truth. Paul is explaining his authority in preaching the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 11. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, and am not deserving to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly. Hear that, church. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, 
and so you believed. And here's what I think. If you want, if you want to crush the lies of Satan, you want to squash the lies that he keeps whispering into our ears, we have to take the approach of Paul. Paul said, look, you are absolutely right. I am the least of the apostles. I don't deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But let me tell you what I'm doing because I persecuted the church, because I am the least. It means that I am spurred on, I am moved, I am compelled to work harder than everybody else. Why? Because I know that I needed more grace than everybody else. Praise God. Listen, I have, I have a lot of flaws and faults still yet to this day. I thought by the time I turned 40, I'd have this life figured out, and I don't. I don't. But I'll tell you one thing that has stuck with me from day one, and that's that God's mercy is so good, and I, I am not. And I have two choices with that knowledge. I can let it sink me and bury me so I do nothing for God. And sure, I believe with all my heart that I am saved and I'm going to go to heaven someday. When we all, when we all who surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But my grace that God gave on me for me will not go squandered it will not be wasted because i know who i was and i know who god called me to be and i know where i am and i'm not there and i'm not there i'm in the middle i wish i could say i'm who god wants me to be all the time but i'm not and i wish uh, or i'm thankful that i can say i'm not who i was but my fear and my doubts and my insecurities and my shortcomings, they can push me either direction on that spectrum. There have been times that I have not served God because I thought they won't listen. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I'm still struggling with this sin, God. You can't use me. I'm still struggling. And so I just kept moving back, and the next thing I know, I'm looking a whole lot more like the old man than I am the new man. But God, my family's had tragedy, and, and this is going on, and, and right now we're, we're, we're upside down financially, and we're struggling, and right now you know, we're, just, we're just trying to get by, and, and we've got this bill coming in, and we didn't expect it, and God, we, we, don't, we don't know what we're going to do, and I, I just stay down here because I know I'm saved. I know that God has been merciful, but I don't feel like I can do anything for God, and that is a lie from the devil. See, I can be used by God not because I'm good enough, not because I haven't figured out, not because I don't see more, but because of who God is. And because He says, He will go with me. I don't go in my power. Sorry, I almost got fired up there. We're... Uh, we're going to look at one more passage. Turn with me to John chapter 21. Man, I love it that 
I've been saved for quite a while now. I've read the Bible through a couple times, and I won't say that. Uh, it took me a long time to be able to say that. And I thought I was getting pretty intelligent, pretty understanding of the Word of God, and I love the fact that no matter how many times I've read it or how much I've studied it, God continues to bring new truth to me. It's a living Word. It's God's Word living word so we're going to look at a passage real quickly i say a passage three verses in john chapter 21 we're going to read the first three verses we're going to dig in then we'll be done after these things okay what are these things this is after the the crucifixion and the resurrection of jesus after these things jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. And Simon Peter said unto, him, unto them, I'm going fishing. And they said unto him, We also go with you. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Excuse me. All right. So I've heard this passage several times throughout my life, and I've read it, and I never put a lot of thought into it. And even when I did put some thought into it, I misunderstood it, to be honest with you. So here's the deal. This is after. This is the part that I've always missed. Listen, this is the part I've always missed. And I might be alone. I might not be alone. But get this. This is after the resurrection, and this is after Jesus has revealed himself to the disciples. I never caught that before. I always kind of thought that this was in that area between, you know, in that three-day period or maybe after the resurrection, but before he really had conversed and really revealed himself to his disciples. And that Peter was like, okay, well, I guess that's over. I'm going back fishing. Okay? That's not what happened here. That's not what happened here at all. This is after the resurrection. This is after Jesus has revealed himself to Peter and, and, and to the disciples Peter knew more now than at any point before that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Redeemer, that he was Jesus, right? And so then I'm like, well, then why did he go fishing? Because I always thought he went fishing, like, okay, I guess that's over. I'm going to go back to my old life. It's really not that, Okay? Here's what I'm thinking. This is right after, right after a significant event in Peter's life and right before another significant event in Peter's life, okay? So Peter knows Jesus is resurrected. Peter knows Jesus is the Messiah. So why did he not immediately start spreading the gospel and getting like, oh man, this is proof. Let's be about it. Let's go to work. Well, this is right after Peter denied Jesus three times. What should be the greatest victory, when, when, when Jesus reveals himself, Peter should have been like, yes, we were right, this is the Messiah. Instead, what is Peter thinking? I just denied him. I don't even deserve to follow him. Yes, he's the Messiah, but I'm Peter. 
And over and over throughout the times I've followed Jesus, I've tripped over myself. I've said dumb things. I've gotten ahead of God's plan. And now I've denied him three times. I was so scared that I couldn't even stand up to the little girl who said, Oh, weren't you in the door? Oh, I don't know. I didn't know. I've never seen that man before. I know it's true. I know it's right. But I can't do it. I'm going fishing. I can't screw that up. I know how to fish. I can't follow Jesus. Every time I try, I let him down. Every time I, I try to do what's right, I end up dragging Jesus' names through the mud. It's easier just to, just to fish. But Jesus, because he's Jesus, what does he do? Well, one, he shows up and humbling moment, right? When Peter's like, I can't do this thing, but at least I can fish. And then they fished all night, got nothing. Can't even do this right. I think Peter was at a low spot. What's Jesus do? He shows up, hey guys, y'all got any fish? <laughs> he knew they didn't. And then he converses, and what does he do with Peter? He says, come talk to me, Pete. Simon, do you love me? God, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? God, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, do you love me more than these? God, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. And Jesus was saying, like, I knew you were Peter when I called you. I knew you were a knucklehead. I knew you talked before you thought. None of that surprised me. Listen to me. When Jesus Christ called Stuart Creamer to salvation, he knew all of his flaws, and they are many. And he called him anyway. And now I see that man serve God every single day in one way or another. Do I still see him stumble and struggle? That's my boy. I know he struggles at times. But I see God use him anyway. And the same goes for each and every one of you. Satan says you can't do it because you mess up too much. Jesus says... I knew you were going to mess up, and I've called you anyway. I knew you couldn't do it, but I chose you. And you can, you can bask down here, and, and, and you, can, you can stay in your sin and in your rebellion, and you can say, well, I just can't pull me. But when you do that, you're denying the very truth that it's not you anyway. And it's Jesus. And if Jesus only used perfect folks, He'd have been done when He ascended into heaven. When work would be over. Some of you have not, not yet truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And it's because it's humbling to say, I've been in church 
but I've never accepted Christ. Some of you are saved, but you're on the sidelines right now because Satan has lied to you and said you're not useful. And Jesus is saying you're useful. Some of you, listen to me, I understand some of I understand that life's circumstances sometimes hit us in the mouth so hard. But listen, when that happens, again, it's going to push you one way or the other. When I lost my sister, shared this many times. When I lost my sister, I shook my fist in the face of God, as close as his face as I could get, and said, I'm out. I'm done. Because Satan snuck up in my ear as soon as that happened. If God loved you, that wouldn't happen. She sang praises to God. She loved God. And she went to the nursing home. She did all these things. If God loved you, if God loved her, if God loved your family, that wouldn't have happened. And I bought into the lie. And I sat on the bench for years and years and years because I kept listening to him. Every time, look, my heart ached. I wanted to be back there. But I kept saying no. Not now. Look at all these things I've done since I was last in the presence of God. He won't want me now. He was a liar. Satan was a liar. And I've seen other people. I think about things like the women's conference that we had where, where you know, folks took deep tragedy and they said, look, I have to serve God now. I have to be about it. It can push you either way, but I'm telling you, is even when you're here, God wants you there, and He doesn't care. Listen, I, y'all know me, right? I'm not saying, oh, go out and sin all week, and then on Sunday show up and do something for God. That ain't what I said. Okay, don't twist my words. I said, God doesn't care where you've been. He cares about you getting back here. Now, you can't go back and forth. If you try that, you're going to stay over there. You're going to end up over there. What I'm saying is don't let him tell you you can't get back there. The father in the story of the prodigal son, he ran to him. Did you catch this? He had his whole rehearsal. He had this whole thing mapped out. He said, well, I'll go back and I'll say, well, you know, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Let me have a job as one of your hired servants. He didn't even make it all the way through it. His father was like, shut up and give me a hug, man. I'm so glad you bring the Bring the calf, bring the robes, put a ring. I'm just glad you're back. I don't care that you smell. I'm just glad you're back. He didn't even make it through his spiel. That's good, right? It's good. It's good. Can't tell for some of you. I think it's good. And I can tell you that when I finally laid mine down, and I can remember the exact moment. It was life-changing. I was already saved, but I can remember the exact moment that I went back and said, Father, I no longer deserve to be called your son, but God, I want to be back in your presence. I'm tired of living like this. And I can remember the moment. I'll be honest with you. And Some people say, well, maybe you ain't even saved. That's between me and God. I remember that moment even more than the moment that I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. That moment, will, because at that moment I knew without a doubt that I was making the choice not to just be halfway in. I'm either going to be all in or I'm going to be all out. And now, I'm all in. Some of you need to come to that place. We can only stay here so long. 
And if we're honest with ourselves, listen, if you come down here this, mor- this morning and you say, Dusty, I need to be saved, I'm not going to be shocked. I don't care who you- I don't care if it's Stuart. I already told you, I think he's saved, but you know what? That's not going to get him into heaven. If he says, you know what, I'm not. I ain't going to be surprised. I'm going to hug him. I'm going to be excited. Or if you're, if you're a good Baptist and you come down here and say, man, I've been struggling. I've been, I've been off my feet for a while spiritually. I need to get right. And I'm declaring today that I'm back. Not because I deserve to be used by God, but I'm going to let him use me because he wants to. I ain't going to be surprised. And anybody who's judging you is because they probably need to be saved too. Okay? Because the reality is, I'm going to rejoice because I know what it's like. I want you to do business with God, whatever that is. Man, listen, maybe you are, you've been there. And now you're here, this is, a great, this is a great morning to say, praise God. I remember who I was, and just like Paul said, because I've persecuted the church, now I'm going to outwork everybody else. Maybe this is your morning to say, you know what? I've kind of lost some of that fight and that edge because I've forgotten who I used to be. Today, I'm getting back to work. Maybe you're working. Maybe you're doing it. It's a great day to pray for your friends or to just thank God. Thank you, God, that for once I sat through a sermon and I felt like, yes, it feels good to be on this side of it. Thank you, God, for being merciful. We can all do business with God. Let's do that right in this moment. Jesus, I love you. And God, I thank you that you not only saved a wretch like me. God, I'm thankful for that, but I'm thankful, God, that you are still choosing to use me despite my flaws, despite my failures, despite my shame and my embarrassment of the choices I've made and things that I've done. I'm thankful that you still have enough grace that I can still be useful, God. I pray that I will be urged on because I know what you saved me from. Because I know where you've brought me from. I pray that I will spend every day you give me moving forward on this earth, serving you. God, not because I deserve it, Lord. You know I don't. But because you deserve my very best. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning. God, that you will remind them of what you've done and that you still want to use them, even when they feel unusable. And Lord, I pray for the folks here or listening at home who don't know you. I pray that today will be their day of salvation and that you will just shut Satan up and that they'll be real for a moment, surrender themselves to you. We love you and we thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.